Monday night in downtown Phoenix, we saw what might be the final tune-up for the Suns' big three of Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, and Kevin Durant in a win over the Portland Trailblazers. On today's episode of Locked on Suns, we'll break down the game, the habits and lineups we saw, what we can learn, and more. Let's go. You are Locked on Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past seven seasons, a writer at suns.com and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcast. A big thank you for making Locked on Suns your first listen here on this Monday night post-game show, maybe Tuesday morning for some of you. Appreciate each and every one of you hitting follow, hitting subscribe, becoming an everydayer, and getting locked onto the Phoenix Suns right along with me every single Monday through Friday. If you have not become all of those good things already, hit the button on wherever you're finding the show. We're free and available everywhere, including YouTube. Become part of the thousands of listeners who do make this show their first listen every morning. Let's dive in. The Suns did win this game, and it's not going to be a normal recap show, mostly because the game was not competitive enough to warrant that, but we have plenty to talk about nevertheless. Bradley Beal returned to the lineup, and Booker and Durant remained in the lineup. I would expect this is the last game that we will see those guys Thursday in Palm Springs. I don't expect uh, the Suns to throw everybody, all the real players, all the core players out there. And so this was our last time seeing them before next Tuesday in San Francisco. Um, We'll break it down. We'll start with the lineups and the habits that we saw and then focus on some specific players as well. Today's show is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, Use the code LOCKEDONNBA to get $20 off your first purchase. All right, lineup-wise, first off, the obvious, Grayson Allen starting this game in place of Josh Okoge. Um, Yusuf Nurkic also sat. Drew Eubank stepped in for him, but I think the Allen switch is more relevant because it was a, it was a decision that Vogel concretely made, whereas Okoge just... He just came off the bench. Nurkic was inactive, so somebody else had to replace him. The Allen thing was was just to see a different look. And it's going to be really fascinating because until one of the bigger the bigger wings really pops, and by those by that I really just mean Bates Diop or, or Nasir Little, you're gonna see a trade-off no matter who is in that fifth spot. Now, Eric Gordon also did not play tonight. Um, so it was really Allen and it was a Kogi and those were kind of the two main players we saw along the, the other, the big three plus, you know, Eubanks or whatever other center it was. And so again, the trade-offs you are, if, if you go with somebody like Allen, he's probably going to guard the same player that a Kogi would have, but be a little bit less switchable be a little bit less forceful, a little less physical, less likely to force turnovers. But if you go 
With Gordon, you're probably taking another step down defensively, but you are getting a lot more offensively. If you go with, let's say, Bates-Diop, you're getting a little bit less in the way of athleticism, but he's the biggest and longest physically of any of those guys. If you go with Nasir Little, he might be the best physical option in terms of combining athleticism and size, but his offensive game is probably a little better than Kogi's, but not uh, fully developed either, especially as a shooter. So we just saw one of the options. Like that's, that's just sort of what it was tonight. I'm not necessarily going to make some proclamation about whether it's better or worse just based on a couple of preseason games, but with Allen, you're getting some defensive intensity at the point of attack and some good decision-making and shooting as an offensive player. The other uh, lineup thing that I want to home in on is the small ball lineups we saw. All right. Um, Because Nurkic was out, Eubanks started, they had to get a little bit more creative with their backup center. And in the second half, a lot of the time that was Udoka Azubuki or Bull Bull. But in the more real part of the game in the first half, we saw Chemezi Metu fill that role. And I asked Frank Vogel about what has to work for those lineups to earn his trust. And the way he answered, one, I'm not positive he understood my question. Uh, I guess I might have asked it poorly. Number two, I if he did understand me, and I haven't been able to go back and listen to what his exact word for word is to piece together what happened with the communication breakdown. But what I honestly would interpret it as if he did understand me is that he just doesn't actually see those as real options for them, especially uh, not with Metu at the five, right? Duran at the five, we'll see. I think that's clearly something that they're going to try at times, but I just don't think Chemezi Metu at center is, is going to be a real look. That said, we can still learn some things. One, just to say, the reason I don't think that's going to be an option is uh, part of the reason Metu's been a tweener his whole life and his whole NBA career. He is not good enough defending traditional, basic pick-and-roll types of actions, let alone post-ups and things like that, enough to anchor a defense, enough to be the biggest player on the court. That's just not his game. That's not something he's comfortable with. He got beat on a back cut. He got beat on uh, slips, uh, slipped screens, so the roll man just disengaging from the screen and, and rolling quickly. He got blown by on those. He... I think has some weak side help defensive ability, but when he is just sort of backpedaling and surveying the field in front of him, uh, the the court in front of him and needing to just protect the rim, like that's not, that's not his game. But as far as what we can learn from the small ball lineups we did see, let's even just imagine a world in which it's Duran at the five. We still saw the types of lineups that I think you would get excited about if, if you do think Duran at the five will be an option, right? You saw long, athletic, switchable lineups with interchangeable pieces that the Suns, frankly, uh, before July and then the Aiton trade, they just didn't have the flexibility to build lineups like that. Now they do, right? So you saw, for instance, like Metu, Durant, Beal, Okogie, 
um, little or something. When you throw that much athletic size out there, you do give yourself the flexibility to match up well enough to buy yourself some minutes with those small lineups. And we talked about this a little bit on Monday with Brandon, and and he and I were going back and forth on some of the, the Durant at center possibilities. And in some ways, you're able to play some different, less offensively gifted guys when you when you roll that out there because you you're just going to mostly put the ball in the stars hands right but there are teams in this conference that are going to necessitate finding out what those lineups are going to be and having answers for them and that that is part of what Vogel's answer got to when when he responded to me was it is a different look. It is a mix-up, and so you need to be ready for it. But if the Lakers come to town, if the Warriors come to town, I mean, we're going to see those teams next week, right? We could see a Durant at center lineup as soon as next week if if Vogel wants to get aggressive. And you have to be ready to set screens in ways you're not used to doing, to cross-match and transition. To You kind of... The rules just become a little bit less important, and it's really just win the matchup battle, and live to see another possession, right? And I just, I think we saw some of what that can look like in terms of how the lineups were built. I think the way that the team played when those small ball lineups were out there, not quite what you want, and obviously not quite there personnel-wise, considering it was mostly met to, whereas we know in the regular season, once again, it will be mostly Durant. All right, that's lineups. Let's go to habits. We'll talk about some players within that. Already talked about a few, Metu and others, but habits next. First, today's show brought to you by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like your brain is getting in its own way, like you know what you should do, what's good for you, but you just can't do it? Therapy helps you figure out what's holding you back so you can work for yourself instead of against yourself. I can speak from experience. My wife and I have both sought out therapy at various points in recent years, and that's not because we were going through something extreme. That's not necessarily because some sort of major life event happened, just sort of life itself happened. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, BetterHelp is a place to do it. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Once again, convenience, flexibility, and that ability to switch are really important. I cycled through many before I found somebody who made sense. I really came to value somebody that lived in, uh, who worked whose office was near me all these little things that add up but if you're able to do it at home if you're able to schedule appointments when you want and you're able to find the right person with time given to do that all those things make it a lot easier and better help gives it to you make your friend your brain your friend with better help visit betterhelp.com slash locked on nba today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash locked on nba Keeping it rolling, habits. 
what are some of the habits we saw? Let's focus on two in specific, all right? One, uh, I believe, uh, I, I don't want to jump the gun. I'm sure they're talking about it on the PHNX post-game show. Shout out to all of those wonderful people. And I'm sure Gerald Bourget is writing about it. And, and so I want to give him some credit again over at PHNX because he was the one asking the questions. But anyone who watched the game could observe, observe it. Devin Booker taking pull-up threes. Very lengthy preamble. Apologies there. I should have said the thing first and then described where it all came from. But four of six from deep for Booker. And at least two of those, I believe, were pull-up threes. And that's going to be a weapon that's always been a weapon for him. But what was more interesting did come from Gerald asking questions about it post-game. And, you know, Booker gave a pretty similar answer to what he always has. That's a big weapon. It changes what the defense expects. It changes what the defense, how the defense reacts when you're able to consistently take that shot and make it, obviously. But even Booker acknowledged, like, make or miss because of how talented he is and the threat of that shot is going to be an emergency. It doesn't really matter if he makes or misses them because, you know, game to game. Of course, if he were to go 40 games and be hitting 20%, the defensive game plan might adjust on him. But teams know he can make that shot. And so even the threat of it, even the, the taking of it, means that guards can't go under screens, although I don't really think they do that very much on Booker, even when he's not taking those aggressively. But obviously, they really can't if they know he's going to pull up at any moment. The big man has to take a step up, guarding the pick and roll to try to get a hand in Booker's face as well. That leaves the drop pass to Eubanks to Nurkic open. That leaves cuts, all these different things, right? And of course, it's just, Another way to get a three-point shot off, which, in case you had not heard, is more valuable than a two-point shot. They're worth more. You get three points for them instead of two. That's why they're called that. So setting my dry uh, sarcasm there aside, like that that matters, right? I don't think a lot of teams, even though Durant and Beal are going to create a lot of open shots for Devin Booker, it's not going to be common for Booker to be able to get clean, easy three-point shots off all that regularly. But that's a big part of what his skill set is as a basketball player. And so that's always been an element of of why people have clamored for him to take those pull-up threes too, is it's just, hey, you're not going to get 10 catch-and-shoot threes a game. That's just not in the cards. And even especially, I would say, this year with how much the ball is going to be in his hands initiating offense, he's going to have to to gun those pull-up threes in order to get the volume where he wants it to be and have that obviously impact the team as much as we know it can. So that's the Booker side. What Vogel said is a lot of the impetus or the emphasis, I should say, on taking them came from Vogel. He said that as early as the summer, he was encouraging and really pushing Booker to embrace that shot. You know, Vogel said that talking to people who had been around the organization in years past, which uh, most likely that means Kevin Young, um, he was able to learn that Booker doesn't, he just was a little hesitant with that shot. You know, it's not the shot you're taught to take in, you know, uh, middle school, right? Like it is a, a, for most players, pretty low efficiency, last ditch type of shot. But Booker is not a normal player, and and so I think Vogel is right, and it's 
cool to see that that emphasis has carried over to games. We'll see if it carries over for 82 of them and into the postseason, but we've seen Booker be able to make this a part of his game when he focuses on it in the past. I just think what Vogel wants is for it to not go away anymore. Hey, that's just going to be part of your game now, and we're all going to reap the benefits from it. I think that's the mindset, and we'll see if it continues. The other habit that I want to talk about in specific is a little smaller, but it matters, and it's cutting, okay? Um, Because you're seeing... If if the if the pull up threes from Booker are one example of how Vogel and the coaching staff's encouragement is already manifesting for this team, I think cutting is another way that that we're seeing that. No matter who's handling the ball, if they're able to break into the teeth of the defense, especially get into the paint on a drive, you are seeing the opposite kind of weak side floor spacer, most often from the wing, cut um, to the basket. And look, the Blazers playing their zone defense with not a lot of size out there and just in general a young team, they're more likely to leave space open for a, a nice cut than maybe you know, your typical lockdown, title-contending type of defense. But the habit is what matters, right? The fact that young guys like Bates Diop, Little, Okogi, and I know I say young as if they're like rookies. They're not. But new guys who have not played on winning teams before, really, embracing how they can make an impact as off-ball players. All right? That's... That's why it's important, because they're already in the mindset that they need to be in. So, if you're talking about who that fifth starter spot goes to, as we mentioned in the last segment, if you're talking about how some of the smaller lineups can work, these are all things where there are going to be non-shooters on the court for this Suns team. Ideally, in the closing lineup, Nurkic is probably the only guy, maybe Eubanks if he closes. Those are maybe the only players who are non-shooters in the best lineups this team will throw out there. But look, if two of Akogi, Bates, Diop, and Little are in the rotation opening night, if Akogi's starting, you know, there's going to have to be some adjustments. And so it's not going to just be enough to say space or we're always going to score in transition. No. There are going to be half-court possessions where the non-shooters on this team need to make themselves a threat, and cutting is a great way to do that. That's what players did back when not all of them shot in the NBA. Now everybody can shoot threes. We don't see it as much, but it still matters, right? So with that said, let me just shout out one more player because I don't think he's going to fit in the next segment, which is Kata Bates-Diop. Now, I'm still not fully convinced he's actually going to be in the rotation next Tuesday night uh, for opening night of the NBA season when the Suns are in San Francisco to play the Warriors. I'm not sure he plays, but I thought tonight was a nice step forward for Bates-Diop when it comes specifically to playing team basketball. You saw him in passing lanes defensively you saw him making crisper rotations and being more a little bit uh, a little bit more head on a swivel defensively offensively you saw him making the right pass he was still a little bit hesitant he's not one of these guys who's going to let it fly from 3 we're learning that very quickly 
but he wasn't, even though he wasn't maybe always going to launch the three, I also think there is something to be said for if you know you're not shooting that, it's the two dribbles and a good decision thing, right? You got to attack the closeout or break through whatever the rotating defense is giving you and get the ball to the next person if it's not going to be you to shoot it. And I think he did that better tonight too, right? So progress, baby steps. He will get his shot. Even if he doesn't play on Tuesday next week, he is going to play for this team at some point. And I still maintain that this team, even Frank Vogel said it pregame, he said point blank, Yudawat Nabe is a, is a smart, high IQ defender. He is not at the level of other NBA players in terms of on-ball defensive ability. Bates Diop can have that impact. Nasir Little can have that impact. Josh Kogi already has. That's why he might start, right? So Bates Diop will get the opportunity because he brings things that no one else brings. There's a reason we were all so hyped about him. Whether it is cutting, whether it is making himself useful and, and learning how to play in those small lineups, whether it's playing off the starters, or whether it's just letting it fly from three and, and making a lot of them, he he can still get there. And I think seeing the way that he adapts to playing on a great team and making winning plays is going to be what the coaching staff is looking for, and it's going to be our indication for when he's getting ready to seize that opportunity and play a bigger role on this team. And I thought tonight, very quietly, was a good step, a good sign that we are still on our way there for KBD. Let's close out with our box score oddity, and then I have a rant. All right, is that a tease for you? We'll do both of those things next. First, today's show brought to you by Game Time. We have NLCS games happening soon. We have Elton, no, Stevie Nicks and Billy Joel playing a concert. I believe, um, I mean, I missed out on my Zach Bryan tickets for next December. I believe those are already sold out. Point is, if you live in Phoenix, there's stuff going on all the time. Game Time has you covered for all of it. Last-minute tickets, flash deals, zone deals, lowest price guarantees, event cancellation, all the good stuff that you could ever want from a ticketing app, all in one place. That's literally what Game Time has done. They know what sucks about other apps. They know what rocks about certain apps, and they put it all the good stuff in one place. They're obsessed with finding ways to help you save money. They have deals on tickets right up to the start of the event. You have exclusive flash deals and sponsored deals on sporting events. And with their zone deals, you pick the section. Game time picks the seats. You get an average of almost 20% in savings when you go that direction. The game time guarantee means you get the right, the best price as well. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time credits you 100%, 10% of the difference. It's like price matching on a ticketing app. They really pulled out all the stops. Download the game time app, create an account, use the code locked on NBA to get $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem the code locked on NBA for $20 off at checkout. Download game time today, last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. All right, box score oddity. That's one of our go-to recap segments. I will keep that one. We're not starting fully from scratch, guys, here. I know I, I made a joke out of it the last one, but look, we're, uh, we're, we're still rocking with certain ones because they don't have to do with the old roster. But, you know, we're not doing 
Mikhail Bridges' breakout watch, as I mentioned. But the box score oddity today is none other. Drum roll. Jordan Goodwin, six steals. Of course, it was a preseason game, so that box score number did not necessarily uh, matter, right? But the reason that it's worth highlighting, the reason that I'm bringing it up is, one, Jordan Goodwin is as advertised in terms of his ability to use his size and his skill to defend at the point of attack, to blow up actions before they ever really begin. That's pretty much what he did with those steals. He is bigger and more physical than I thought watching him late in the season last year with the Wizards and some, you know, film and highlights and clips and stuff from last season once we knew he would be a son. I just didn't realize that he was, I mean, he's not as big as a Kogi, but he's pretty close. And that goes a long way too, right? Because you're able to not just use your hands. You're able to use your body. You're able to bump and make uncomfortable the guy you're guarding. And that matters too. It's not just about swiping the ball away. And so those are things that all help him. The flip side of it in terms of the box score tonight was the four fouls. And Frank Vogel was very quick. It felt a little bit like, uh, you know, the coach isn't supposed to like the young guys type of energy uh, from Vogel where he was asked about the six steals and he goes, yeah, I had four, four fouls in the first few minutes too, didn't he? Or something like that. But, you know, playfully. But still, it's like, come on, don't be, uh, don't be so hard on him. Either way, that's the give and take. That's why I think Kokogi is in the rotation ahead of him right now. That's why he, you know, the Suns didn't just get him in the Beal trade and say, all right, there's our point of attack defender. Like, move on from that need. No, you know, he's still young. He's still growing. He had half a season on a mediocre team last year. And that's really all of the experience and production he's ever had in the NBA. So uh, I don't think he'll play. I don't expect him right away to be somebody we're talking about, but the talent is obviously there. The perimeter defense is game changing. And if he can develop some of the offensive stuff and be a little bit more balanced with his approach defensively and and avoid some of those fouls and not be so, so aggressive at all times. Maybe by the end of the season, he is playing and, and certainly a guy, you know, beyond this year that I think you have to be excited about. Last thing, I know uh, this is not a Phoenix Mercury show. However, for a lot of reasons, there's no Phoenix Mercury podcasts uh, that are daily and not very many of them at all. And it's about the Suns owner still, right? So Matt Ishpia today uh, and the Sun, the Mercury organization hired Nate Tibbetts to be the new head coach of the Phoenix Mercury. They It was not a very publicized coaching search. They decided to move on from the interim coach, Nikki Blue, after firing Vanessa Nygaard mid-season, or not even really mid-season, early on in the season. The thing about Tibbetts, and the the headline that got out was, he's a very experienced and accomplished assistant, and he is going to be the highest paid coach in WNBA history. Those are good things. Of course, I think that he will be a Probably very good basketball coach. Why would he not be? He was a guy getting NBA interviews. He's a guy that's been around in a lot of different settings as an assistant coach. 
won a lot of games on successful coaching staffs. No reason to doubt that he can come in and make an impact, be be a positive, be the right hire from a basketball standpoint. But this is a little bit of the rubber meeting the road, or maybe that's not the right analogy. This is a little bit of the, I think I meant to say, just the rub, right? To uh, to to be Shakespearean there, right? The the rub of Matt Ishbia's his his thirst for the flashy move, and a lot of the time the flashy move is also just the right move. Like, don't get me wrong, you know, but building a new work office complex for the staff of this team and hiring some of the people that he's hired and you know whatever those those are flashy maybe, but also spending money to bring in talented people in all aspects of the team is also just good. Like I'm not sitting here trying to get cute and be like, well, actually spending money is bad. I'm not doing that. But in, in some cases flash is not the only priority and it, it might succeed in some things by letting you have access to bigger and better but there are other elements of decision making in sports in certain you know fields that can't be ignored and in this particular case the fact that a few things are happening with the Tibbets hire matters one of those things is somebody who has no experience in women's basketball let alone the WNBA right Nate Tibbets is an accomplished basketball person the sport is the same no matter who's playing it and we've had plenty of people cross over and have success so it's not that I don't think he can coach women's basketball. It's that it matters to be familiar with the culture of women's basketball, to be familiar and, and effective and comfortable coaching women. That's different. It, it is. Like, I worked at a sports research institute, not to, you know, flex my, you know, entry-level job at, at, at Arizona State that I had for the past couple of years before leaving recently, but that's what I did. I'm familiar with research that shows from a young age, young girls all the way through professional women. There are different qualities that make you an effective leader and and communicator and all those things when it is women. And that goes for women coaches. I think there are some women coaches who are more comfortable and effective coaching men. Like it's not even a fully just only women can coach women, only men can coach men. That's not the point. But it does matter. And it also, again, to the cultural point, it matters to people around women's basketball. I've covered the WNBA. I've covered the Mercury. It matters to people in that sport that there is a certain level of investment that you actually have in growing the game. That is the reality on the ground for women's basketball players, for women athletes in general. Their full-time job is competing. There is also a part-time job that they can either choose to accept or not, but that is clearly there. That is about growing the game. Is somebody like Nate Tibbetts committed to that? Does he care? Or is this a head coaching opportunity that he'll parlay into the next one, right? And the other part of it that matters, I know I said it was two things, and I, it's, not, it's not my experience to point to or, or highlight or elucidate on, but again, in reporting on women's basketball, the WNBA, the Mercury, for as long as I have, it matters to the people involved there also to have representative leadership. That is a league where it is commonplace to have women coaches, women executives, women uh, of color in those positions. And 
to have now because of the splashiness, the flash, the money involved in how Matt Ishbia has hired for the leadership of the Mercury. Nick Uren uh, is the general manager of this team, came over from the Warriors, and now he did have experience with the Mercury in a past life. He actually got his basketball career started in Phoenix. So there's a connection there, but white dude. And then now head coach, white dude, who both came from the NBA. You are spending to get talent. You are finding people with more pedigree, more infrastructure, more resources from the NBA, and convincing them with fat paychecks to say, bring all of that knowledge and and investment that you've been able to receive as a man in the NBA to our WNBA team. Is that for the good or the bad of the long term of the franchise, the willingness of players to want to be involved? It's all up in the air. I don't know. I, I would love to hear from both of them, but it matters. I promise you. It, it. If you look anywhere in WNBA media, it's already being talked about, and I guarantee you it will be a talking point by the time next season starts through the offseason and, and all of it. Those factors matter in that sport and in that league and in that team in a way that they just don't elsewhere. And I'm sure Matt Ishby is aware of it. Maybe he thinks that he can spend through that and it will win out because the best people will win, and that's that. And I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying he could be. That'll wrap us up. More to come as the week continues. One more preseason game, some practice commentary, and some final season preview type of stuff. We'll do final predictions and all that. So hit follow, hit subscribe wherever you're finding the show. Become an everyday right along with me this week and beyond as the regular season approaches. Have a great Tuesday, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.